Hey, beautiful babes. Welcome to the Lavender Mafia podcast, episode 11. This week's episode is on shame, or a much more fun title, What Do Christianity, Puberty, and the Olive Garden Have in Common? <laughs> Guess you'll have to listen to find out. We are Enjoy. the Lavender Mafia. We are the Lavender Mafia. Hey, what's up? I'm Jess Grace Garcia, and I am a filmmaker, music producer, worship pastor, and I think I fell in love for the first time when I was like six to Jennifer Garcia and uh, no relation. Okay. Um, (laughs) Relieved to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah. Uh, What about you, Jack? Six years old. That's so young. (laughs) What is it like to feel love? Oh my gosh, I was so ahead of myself when it came to that. I know, it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Jack Bates, drag queen, theologian, comedian. And for a lot of my life, I thought Olive Garden was really fancy, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) I would dress up. I'm not going to lie. I'm the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) I also have a little bit of a defense, which is we had a restaurant called Olive Tree um, in um, the city, well, the city next to the city I grew up in, in Maryland, and it was a little bit fancier than an Olive Garden. Very similar themed, but a little bit fancier. But again, we were in one of those cities that people would show up in their cargo shorts and their polo, and (laughs) and you were like, what are you doing? You're supposed to dress up when you go out of a place like this. <laughs> I felt so ashamed if I would walk in there with like, if everyone was going after some, you know, group event or something. I felt so bad walking in there with shorts. <laughs> <laughs> but I would absolutely walk into an Olive Garden now with shorts. <laughs> I was just thinking when the pandemic is over, I'm just going to go and like, Full suit and tails. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. So it was recently the second anniversary of my fiance's top surgery. Really? So we celebrated that. I made him a cake of a little torso with top surgery scars and little Sexy. candy nipples. I love it. It was a lemon zest cake because he really loves lemon. And I made a lavender buttercream to go in between two layers. <sighs> It was amazing. What? Listeners, check Instagram and Twitter for pictures. And maybe a recipe. Um, I don't do recipes. I just make shit up as I go along. Damn it. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. Here's another way that we are different but similar. You love baking. I love cooking but and creatively. And you love mm-hmm. baking creatively. It makes for really delicious friend like dinners mm-hmm. oh my god do you remember when we used to have friend dinners <laughs> i love hospitality like i love yes. making a meal for a dinner party or like desserts to mm-hmm. share with a large group of friends i really miss that yeah me too can we just bring it to the studio next time <laughs> <laughs> i should start bringing treats like there's like an arm and a shoulder left of the cake i guess i could have brought mm, them today I love Sorry, a shoulder <laughs> Take a bite of this. <laughs> Take a bite of my bad girl meat. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, ridiculous. I wanted to share something really funny that happened to me this past week. Um, I shared on an Instagram post um, about a retreat that I'm taking part in. I'm helping to organize for the Voyage Retreat, uh, which is an LGBTQ uh, spiritual camp um, that happened in physical form last year, is happening on Zoom um, and uh, internet form this year. Um, And I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be helping uh, handle all of their worship night featured artists. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think this is coming out before that event happens. So, hey, if you haven't registered and you want to come to a really awesome LGBTQ spiritual um, community group hang, like come register. But, um, But yeah, I made a post about it. And shared my photo as uh, as a feature um, speaker, and um, I got my Instagram post messaged back to me by Joshua Harris saying "thirst trap," <laughs> <laughs> and I was like thirst trapping for Jesus. <laughs> he was like, that's what they all say. <laughs> and I was like, you should know it. Like you thirst trap for Jesus for a while there. <laughs> and he was like, I love you. I was like, I love you too. And it was just such a sweet encounter with him. And it also is such a reminder of how far freaking Joshua Harris has come. Like if I could go back in time and tell 15 year old tortured Jess, who's dealing with all of purity culture that had a lot to do with the book that Joshua Harris wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that he was going to send me a casual message telling me I'm a thirst trap. (laughs) I would have lost it. (laughs) Well, first of all, I would have said, what's a thirst trap? (laughs) Second of all, I would have lost it. (laughs) But it made my day, if not my week. It was, it was definitely. So, Hey guys, if you think that your friend is just a gorgeous, handsome, beautiful human who is just killing it. Tell them they're a thirst trap. That is like just the best way to love on your friend. It really is. He might have kissed dating goodbye, but it sounds like he French kissed thirsting. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So Josh, if you're listening, Did you French kiss? <laughs> He's like, I don't kiss and tell. <laughs> I can already imagine. Um, great. Awesome. Well, on that really awkward note, let's talk about shame. <laughs> Ooh, this should be fun and not a lot triggering. <laughs> like every topic we do on the main episode. Right? I'm so glad that we literally have a title that says, by the way, trigger (laughs) trigger warning (laughs) this entire series is a trigger warning but something that i have heard from our listeners which i just warms my freaking heart is to hear how they feel so much better about having these conversations Mm. with us because that's the way it feels Mm -hmm. right it feels to them like they're in the room and i agree like i want it to feel like that i want to feel like you're sitting on the couch next to us just quietly listening you're our intro you are our introverted friend (laughs) 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 that just nods and smiles and how, who we make laugh and giggle to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Jack and I love you. (laughs) Absolutely. Do we not love our introverted friends that do that? (laughs) A hundred percent. 
Love an audience. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, do we have enough of those there? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been really such, it's been kind of cool to, to, even though we're talking about hard triggers, like even our purity culture episode was, mm-hmm. I thought going to be a really hard one for people to, I honestly thought people might even skip it. Mm-hmm. And actually that has been one of the episodes that I feel like we've heard the most about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Definitely. And this is a theme that comes up again and again, that we try to take something that hurt us or was weaponized against us and then do like a little Judah move. And now it's something that encourages us and strengthens us. So some of the hardest topics are the most fruitful topics of discussion for us. That was so beautifully said. I totally agree. Yeah. So let's talk about shame. Like what do we mean when we talk about shame? So this morning, like so many other times I was in the shower. I'm listening. The perfect. (laughs) Oh, wait, this isn't after dark. (laughs) (laughs) It's such, I don't know if our listeners agree, but it's such a great like thinking zone. Like for some reason Mm -hmm. I just go there. Right. Um, And I was, I was kind of thinking on this and, and one of the ways that, I think best describes shame for me is this thing that gets put on us or that we put on ourselves um, mm-hmm. that we often misconstrue with guilt. Mm. Like I'm feeling guilty about this thing. Am I actually feeling guilty about this thing or do I just feel like I'm supposed to, well, I think I'm supposed to feel based off of what society and my culture says to me mm-hmm. right yeah would you agree yeah absolutely in sociology sometimes guilt and shame are contrasted by saying like guilt is when you feel like you've done something wrong like it's sort of action focused and shame is when you feel like or you're trying to make somebody else feel like you or they are wrong like are something wrong Mm. it's more like person focused but i do feel like they're often conflated or confused with each other right i would even go as far as saying that i feel like guilt can often be something that we deeply feel within ourselves in a way that is different from conviction Mm -hmm. like I know conviction is a Christianese term, like, because I've said conviction. I think I said conviction in a conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago. And my wife said something like, What do you consider conviction? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, wow, this is a word that I very much used a lot <laughs> growing up, but was not used with my wife growing up in her context, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like for me, I've defined conviction as being something that like is morally based, like something that, that is true to what the Holy spirit is helping you to feel or this gut reaction to what is moral or immoral Mm -hmm. and guilt can often be this conversion of, of like shame into guilt. Like, oh, I need to feel bad. I need to feel deeply bad mm-hmm. about this thing that could actually not be bad at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the ways that guilt and shame are unhelpfully confused is that we might be feeling 
shame. And when we're looking for a reason for that, we end up coming up with something that's guilt-based. Like if I feel off, if I feel wrong, I might look for something that I've done that would cause this sort of unpleasant feeling. Mm, Yeah. And I might even manufacture something or like say, oh, this thing that I thought was okay, it must have been bad because of the way I'm feeling now. But you might be feeling shame and not guilt instead. Absolutely. Like the many times that I, with my second girlfriend, we spent about six months just falling on our knees after sex would happen and begging for forgiveness. Like there Mm. were so many times where we would just be overwhelmed with this feeling of guilt and shame Mm -hmm. and just needing that relief. Um, And it's sad. (laughs) It's sad that Mm -hmm. that was so inaccurate, you know, instead it was really just a feeling of deep shame of what um, we thought we needed to feel. I want to ask this question and maybe it's a jump ahead, but I'm curious, can shame be felt in an ethical and moral way. I don't know. What, what do you think that might look like? I think it might look like me ascribing old values of morality onto myself or someone else and feeling shame about ascribing those old values. Like going, mm-hmm. oh, I, I did that. I made you feel guilty about something you don't need to feel guilty about. Oh, God, I feel so bad about that. Like... That shouldn't have happened. So sorry. Like, I'm ashamed to tell someone that. Does that? Oh, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Or maybe there are instances where we really do something that we believe, either rightly or wrongly, to be immoral. And so we have reason to feel guilty. And that connects in our minds to oh i've done something wrong therefore i am something wrong like the guilt Mm. leads to a feeling of shame what we believe about something that we've done or something that we failed to do we make into like a commentary about our worth as a person so we're talking around it a lot and that's not really our style. Can you give me like uh, an example of um, something that you felt shame in when um, maybe pre, you know, confident queer <laughs> Jack um, that um, and even so like you might feel shame about now talking about. I'm just curious. They might be two separate questions, but. Yeah, I feel like it would be helpful to throw out some concrete examples and figure out like what are the different kinds of things that we have or that one can feel shame about i think the obviously one of the first things that comes up for me is sexuality related like from puberty onward i noticed the physical forms of both women and men, uh, especially men, if you know what I'm saying, (laughs) Um, in ways that my conservative Christian upbringing led me to believe were 
morally wrong. So my beliefs gave me reasons for feeling guilty, but my taking pleasure in the like physical form of men caused me to believe that I was also the wrong sort of thing that I was irreparably broken because Mm. on some level I've known I was gay as long as I can remember. Right. Yeah. Definitely broadly put that sexuality um, is definitely been a true thing for me as well. I think also I would say my gender expression because Mm -hmm. I've been a, I've been a tomboy a lot of my life. Um, and so I've been more masculine presenting, um, most of my life. And by the way, I say tomboy in quotes. It's some, for some people, it's a trigger word for me. It's a little bit of a trigger word, but it's mm-hmm. the easiest way to create a visual for what I was. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was feeling like I didn't belong. Like I wasn't supposed to express myself that way to the point where I, and I've shared this on our gender episodes before that I thought God made a mistake, which made me mm. feel even more uh, guilt around considering that God could make a mistake. Right. Um, which was just all around <laughs> confusing for a little kid trying to understand why they related to the world more like what they were seeing as the way boys related to the world versus the way that girls related to the, to the world Mm -hmm. and uh, other people. So for me, I definitely had a lot of shame around a desire to express myself that way. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. is there like a specific story that, that you think about when, when thinking about the like shame really coming out in a strong way? Oh, (laughs) Uh, I can laugh about it now. Like so many things that we've felt shame for in the past and now we have some distance from it. It feels ridiculous that we judged ourselves or allowed ourselves <laughs> to be judged for so many of these things that we so frivolously believed were shortcomings. Mm. So I'm from a smallish rural town in Northern California. And my family grows almonds, but they don't say they grow almonds. They say they grow almonds. It's like a particularly like Central Valley accent. You don't pronounce the L in no almond. Way. Yeah. Okay. This is a terrible joke that they tell that it's an almond while it's on the tree, and then you shake the L out of it, and it's an almond. No. <laughs> I haven't thought about the joke in years. It's terrible. <laughs> you feel shame about that joke. I feel shame about the joke. <laughs> and so I went to college, a small Christian college down here in LA. And first time talking about Ammons. So I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, you know, the nut come, comes in a tree, Ammons. They're like, oh, you mean almonds. <laughs> I felt such shame for like, I felt like I was this hick, like this uneducated rube. And it that's been something that I struggle with a lot. Like I mm. grew up uh lower middle class yeah. in a heavily agricultural area, just not a whole lot of refinement or sophistication. See above re Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, beautiful babes. 
As we go into our third month of creating fun, sex-positive, hopefully thoughtful queer Christian content, <laughs> we've been absolutely blown away by how many of you have made listening to us a regular part of your week. We're also realizing that we need the support of our community of listeners to continue the work that we're doing. So many people have felt the one thing that we were hoping they would feel because of this podcast, that they're not alone. So if Lavender Mafia has meant something to you, or you realize how much it can mean to so many others, please consider going to patreon.com slash lavmafia, L-A-V-M-A-F-I-A, and make a monthly subscription to help us keep doing this work. Every little bit helps. Thank you. What about you? Any standout stories about feeling shame coming up for you? Yeah, I was thinking about my body and how I've struggled with feeling shame about being a curvy individual mm -hmm. um, and not fitting the the standard of um, the American beauty standard. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's been true. The idea of feeling like I don't fit any category and mm -hmm. and and now i live into that and i love it um and not fitting in is part of what our community is all about which i love right. but yeah i have a particular memory of along with the sexuality shame and concern of someone being able to figure out that i'm that I'm looking at women's bodies or girls' bodies in a different way than every other girl and that someone's going to call it out like it's some big bubble over my head. Mm -hmm. We used to, um, I went to a small private Christian school and we would get changed and we'd use the bathroom as if it was a locker room and it was just a regular like three bed, a three, there's just a regular three uh, stall bathroom mm -hmm. and they, you know, we'd squeeze 30 girls or 20, 30 girls in there somehow and everyone would get changed. Mm -hmm. And I was always one of the people that took a stall and no one encouraged. No one said, Jess, it's, I mean, maybe they did. Maybe they said, Jess, it's okay. You just get change out here. Like, who cares? And I just was like, nope, I am changing in the bathroom. I don't want any of y'all to see my body. And I don't want to look at one of you for longer than the, the allotted amount of time and then get called out on it. Mm. And I would mm -hmm. get, I would just have so much anxiety around bathroom changes mm -hmm. time and i remember when i first started dating um, my girlfriend obviously in underneath all of the the privacy and the figuring <laughs> out of who we were and all of that uh and the shame that was layered there i started to actually think well maybe my body is worth seeing mm -hmm. and feeling enough like the only person I'm looking at with desire is her. And as long as people don't notice that I'm looking at her with desire, even which I was basically always looking at with her with desire and people definitely <laughs> noticed, I thought maybe I can get away with this. Maybe I can actually enjoy, like take off my clothes in front of other people. And I remember this big moment for me and no one else will remember this. Like, cause there was no reason for anyone else to remember this, but I got changed in the main part of the bathroom mm. and I allowed people to see me take off my shirt and take off my skirt to put on pants, uh, put on shorts. Like basically all they saw was my tummy mm -hmm. guys. And like, 
maybe my cleavage, which I was never, ever ashamed of. Um, and so it was an interesting, uh, but really powerful moment for me. Mm. And, and I'm glad that my confidence isn't based in, based on what other people, how other people make me feel anymore. Mm -hmm. But I needed that step then to feel beautiful. Um, because I had a girlfriend who was also, who I knew was no questions asked gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And they thought I was beautiful. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe I am too. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a very specific <sighs> big buildup. And I was the only one that was aware of all uh -huh. of that, you know? And I would even say that like, had I not had so much shame around my body and my own beauty, that relationship might've lasted longer than it did. It was, mm -hmm. I mean, it was a year long relationship, but I think it would have had more chance to grow. Uh, it was hitting, we hit a lot of walls, obviously we were, um, we had a lot of pressures going on and, and maybe it wouldn't have, but I know that my own shame about my body and my own um, degradation of myself um, in comparison to her was exhausting for mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. because I was always doing that. I, I just can't imagine being in that kind of relationship anymore. And, and, and actually, to be honest, Eric and I went through a phase like that where she was hard on herself and we had to work on things like, Hey, let's, let's stop doing that. Well, that's not fun. That feels like an insult <laughs> to me when right. you're down on yourself. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, it definitely, I don't know. That's definitely a memory that sticks hard in my brain. This came up in the queer confidence episode too, how it can be helpful to have external affirmation before we like really internalize that we're fierce. And with shame, it's similar in that it's helpful to have people around us who tell us that we're not the wrong sort of person. Yes. Like I talk with a lot of queer Christians who are coming into an affirming position, coming to believe that God affirms trans identities, that God blesses the same or similar gender, sex, and relationships, and marriage, and families. And a lot of them, I mean, I was in this same situation. I was, I was very deeply enmeshed in church and friend groups that made me feel like I was the wrong sort of person. Mm -hmm. And that enmeshment really kept me from growing at a pace that I might otherwise have done. For sure. Like <laughs> obviously a farm girl. So an agricultural analogy comes to mind. If you've ever seen a young tree, like a sapling and it has like two wooden stakes on either side of it, it's tied to those wooden stakes. Those stakes are helping it to grow upright and strong. We love uh, firm, upright wood. <laughs> but eventually those supports won't be necessary. Mm. And so they'll be taken away. Mm. Obviously, we never want to be in a situation where we're not getting external affirmation. But it's... It comes to not being necessary in the same way that it was at first, but it really is necessary at first. And so if you're just coming to accept 
your own queerness, whether that's your trans identity, your attraction to similar genders and desire to be in a relationship. It's that early time where external affirmation that you're not the wrong sort of person, that you are the person that God meant. Let me say it again. That you're not the wrong sort of person, that you are the person that God made you to be. That's the time when it's most important. But often it's the time where we have the least external affirmation because we're still involved in all these sorts of circles where we're we're being told that being gay or being trans is wrong. Yeah, I think that's why I so often encourage people, like, it's okay to take a break from, like, if you're a religious or faith-based individual, um, it's okay to take a break from those groups. And it's mm-hmm. okay to to find community elsewhere that will affirm you. Um, I found my, my, like, tight friend group in college, and, and none of those people were Christian. And they mm-hmm. really helped me to see things... Um, differently. I remember I had a, a friend, um, and it was a short lived friendship, but this friend said to me at one point, Jess, I think you should, we had to do a group project or something. And, and they said, oh, you have the most experience in this. Like you should absolutely lead this. And I was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And I immediately was like, I'm sorry, what I should lead. A guy is telling me I should lead. Wait, what? I'm really confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but also felt so good about that and started Mm -hmm. to realize what are other ways that I haven't even comprehended about the world working differently than this really sheltered world that I had grown up in. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up, you know, fast forward a little bit, I'd ended up working in the music industry and finding community there of spiritual individuals, often creatives end up being some way, shape or form spiritual. So we Mm -hmm. had some of that in common a lot, but I was being affirmed because queer people and creative people basically are the same thing half the time. Like <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of go hand in hand. And so there was, there was community there um, and straight people who were comfortable with, with, with that element and felt like that was a completely normal thing. And so I found um, that affirmingness there. And then when I was missing the culture of, church community or spiritual community um i was able to look for and find that and start encountering um questions about theology and and diving into that but i took Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. i I took years to come back to that place um because i needed that time i needed that time to do that um Mm -hmm. and i had a, a wrap back around for the reason i was bringing that up some of the people that I found in those spaces were oftentimes entrepreneurs and people who were pushing themselves really hard. And what I realized is I started to surround myself with only people who were, who were doing that, who were mm-hmm. attempting to um, grow and who were desiring to grow and who were um, just incredibly smart but also humble and willing to hear other Mm. people's perspectives and opinions and openness and i started to let the friendships with people who didn't have a desire to grow or who were stagnant fall behind because Mm -hmm. it just didn't help me you know and i feel like when you were talking about your stories of like getting getting around the right community and that will help you grow 
I think sometimes that can be misconstrued by non-affirming or um, evangelical conservative peeps as like falling down this slippery slope. Like the minute you end up hanging out with other queer people, you're going to become queer or whatever it is. <laughs> and like, that's obviously not true. I have so many straight friends who have hung out with only queer people and they want so desperately to be, they want so desperately to be gay that they're, then they're not. So <laughs> It's not their fault. They were born that way. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> we've greatly disproven it there. But yeah, I just feel like, like, it's interesting to, to, to think about like the idea of creating the right kind of surroundings to help yourself to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and I, as an entrepreneur, as someone who has been um, building a business for a very long time and, and um, growing one. And ha- and honestly, like personally, have a desire for growth all the time. That's definitely a factor that I'm always bringing up when I'm talking to people. It's like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Mm-hmm. Are you being reflected back something that you want to put out into the world? And as we've seen in our community and the people that we foster and love and who are queer babies, like they are in all different places in their lives. And we have encouraged them that if they continue to even just get an hour a week with the right community Mm -hmm. that it will help them to grow. And we've seen that. And that's been a really beautiful and awesome thing to be a part of. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's just bringing up for me. One of the things we talked about in our last episode about interfaith relationships, that passage in scripture, don't be unequally yoked. Mm. And like, for me, that doesn't mean don't be around people who are different from myself one of the things it means is don't be around people who are going to force their very different values onto Mm, me yes don't be around people who are not going to recognize our trans identities as something holy and god-given and our similar gender relationships as something holy and god-given speaking of holy and god-given when we talk about scripture, there's definitely a few really big scriptures that we grew up with that talk about being ashamed or mm-hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. It, it, can you give us an example of um, of a verse that's like that and maybe also create some context for us? Because I feel like so many scriptures uh, that we grew up with have so often been misconstrued to represent something completely different than what they were intended to be mm-hmm. representing. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, something, something like that. I'm not always the scripture nerd. So like, <laughs> do you mean Romans one sixteen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I probably do. <laughs> I mean, most of us queer people have good reasons to avoid Romans one, <laughs> but yeah, this is another kind of different sense of shame. Like the, there's a sense of shame in the sort of way that we're talking about it where you feel like you're you're being made to feel like you're the wrong sort of person and then there's shame how it operates in like a an honor shame based culture mm. like shame can be contrasted with honor in a similar way that guilt can be contrasted with innocence okay and in a lot of the cultures in which the scriptures were written all cultures I'll, I feel like I can confidently say all cultures. I have sure. Over, there are plenty of words that have double meanings. <laughs> there are plenty of words. Mm-hmm. 
like all the cultures represented in scripture were honor shame based mm-hmm. ancient Near Eastern cultures as well as Greco-Roman cultures and I'm not going to say that shame operated in precisely the same way in one culture over time or one culture versus another but generally shame was kind of viewed as an objective thing and the feeling about it was less important than have you objectively dishonored yourself and by extension people you're associated with or have you done things that will bring honor and yourself and your family or your in-group so in romans 1 when paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel he wasn't saying i'm not embarrassed to share the gospel with my friends like this is not what's going on he's saying that the gospel isn't a source of dishonor for me Mm. the message of the gospel is not something that makes me the wrong sort of person in my culture Mm. because it has been misunderstood as something dishonorable was really it's a source of honor for him it's so funny when people, what's the term for when you say opposite things to, instead of just saying one positive statement, like if he had just said, I am honored in the gospel. Oh, what's uh, that? double negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why did we have to say that? Way? Right. <laughs> um, but maybe it has more punch um, that way uh, in the context of it all. Mm. Do you feel like, I was thinking as you were talking about not being ashamed of the gospel, do you feel like there's ever been a time in your life um, more recently where you have experienced shame around being a Christian or the gospel? Because I feel like, I feel like I have, like, I feel mm. like there has been moments for me where I feel myself not want to bring up. And this is rare for me because I, I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty unabashed about most of what I do. But one <laughs> of the things that I will sometimes feel is this feeling of like, is it appropriate for me to talk about Jesus right now? Am I going to get judged by this person to talk about if I bring up Jesus? How do I bring up this really important part of who I am without feeling weird about it? Mm -hmm. Um, And also saying that I'm a Christian on its own without using queer in the beginning of it. Like I say queer Christian because it feels very different than saying I'm a Christian. If I say I'm Mm -hmm. a Christian, it feels like I'm, you know, throwing myself into that pile of shit that exists Mm -hmm. in Christian culture right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be there and I don't belong there. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. What about you? I don't think I've experienced that a lot because my contexts were so focused on trying to make me feel shame about my gender and sexuality. And that my new context have sort of formed kind of at the intersection of queerness and Christianity mm. that I haven't dealt with. That yeah. So I went, I went, I went in a, in a different direction of finding community with people who weren't Christian mm-hmm. and finding ways to have conversations about being Christian felt weird. Mm-hmm. And like often, yeah. like when I did find queer community, if, um, or queer community might even be the wrong term, but just like, if I happen to be in a group of lots of queers that I might not really know, um, mm-hmm. 
I always felt it was really awkward to bring up, you know, Christianity, but I wouldn't, there are not any um, examples that I can think of off the top of my head where I didn't do it, but just Mm -hmm. the feeling of resisting wanting to bring it up for fear of it ruining the conversation, Uh you know, um, happened quite a bit. And I think that was a stronger emotion that I was feeling of concern about rejection because I didn't really have queer Christian community mm-hmm. and didn't know that I would have a safe place to land and fall into if I was rejected by this group of queers that thought I was a weirdo for holding on to my Christianity. <laughs> uh-huh. We laugh, but like, I bet you there are so many people who have been there mm-hmm. who have been in that situation. Maybe they're dating. Maybe they're, you know, they're afraid to put their, the fact that they're, they have faith on their profiles, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a tough place to be. Like when it's such a huge part of who you are, but it might completely filter out so many people who have been hurt and injured by the church who want no indication of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to trivialize that experience at all because a lot of us have deep wounds committed by people in leadership in the church or other Christians. And a lot of people have justifiably walked away from any sort of external expression of Christianity. And I've heard from a lot of other friends too, they've had really strongly negative reactions from people when they've told those people that they're religious or that they're Christian. So definitely those experiences are out there. Because I'm not the kind of person that often feels guilt or shame about my actions, it's definitely one of the areas that I've had to do extra effort in relating to um and i i'm thankful for being an empath in this in this regard because mm-hmm. when i'm having conversations with friends who are having a really hard time with something that i find so simple <laughs> it's hard to like mm-hmm. sit there and relate and say no i think i understand i think i understand where you're coming from and this is definitely one of those areas mm-hmm. of like having shame in different communities like there are many people who i'm sure are listening now who are straddling the fence of their christian world and their queer world Mm -hmm. and that there's somewhere in between that they want to exist and they can, they absolutely can. And there's community that exists for you. Like we are Mm -hmm. here. Um, and, and if we're one of the few ways that you're experiencing that, that space, I'm, I'm so thankful that we're able to provide that for you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of people who experience simultaneously shame about being Christian in queer spaces and shame about being queer in Christian spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's gotta be one of the most unique experiences that we have as queer Christian or spiritual um, individuals. Yeah, absolutely. I heard recently from a listener who finds themselves in that exact place. They have, queer friends who are not just not religious, but they have had such bad experiences with Christianity in particular that they're uh, really opposed to religion, like 
won't take it seriously, will mock anybody who takes it seriously. And they also have Christian friends who don't affirm same gender relationships or trans identities. And so they feel like they kind of fall between these mm -hmm. two stools. And I know how difficult it can be to really want community who accepts you for all of you. In some ways, I feel really fortunate that you and I have been able to, in some ways, carve out for ourselves yeah. the sort of queer and Christian community that we want. Yes. Like, in some ways, we found it prepared for us by some of the progressive faith spaces here in LA. Mm -hmm. And in other ways, we took that and kind of ran with it and made our own like kind of queer Christian found family. Absolutely. And I know that that's not possible t to the same degree everywhere. Mm -hmm. But one of the weird to think of it as a gift, but like one of the like unexpected blessings of the pandemic is that people are open to long distance friendships and long distance communities yep. in a way that I don't think they ever have been before. Yeah. I think so many people have put up with their desire to have community um, so desperately that they put up with the constant shame mm -hmm. of being in faith-based spaces because true to form for so many Christian queer individuals, our faith often comes first. Like I said, mm -hmm. Christian first there for a reason because mm -hmm. so many of us choose our faith first because that's the way we were raised. And so it's interesting to, to kind of think about how many individuals have been just choosing that, like choosing those faith-based spaces and that shame over and over again. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden they realize they have more choices. Right. Right. We got given less choices by being put into quarantine and being told we aren't allowed to escape these walls without putting on a mask and putting ourselves at risk. And yet it opened up windows and doors for people to walk into feeling less shame and more themselves. And we got to be a part of creating some of those spaces. Mm -hmm. And I could not be more proud about pastoring a community that is one third not even located in like <laughs> in LA and and being a part of creating this podcast and it's um I don't know I just I cannot stop being grateful and feeling blessed that there's a silver lining to all of this and we've been a part of that silver lining for so many individuals. Mhm. Mm I feel like it always comes up for me, this idea that we bear each other's burdens. Like in some ways, our queer forebears who fought for our rights mm. had it much more difficult than we have it. Yeah. We have had it a lot more difficult than a lot of the gay bees and queer bees mm -hmm. they were bringing up. Yeah. And sometimes, Mostly as a joke, we can like shake our canes at them and say like, oh, you young people have it so easy. But I mean, that's the point. Like, We want to take the difficulties yes. that we've gone through yes. and leverage them so that other people don't have to 
go through as much difficulty as they might otherwise have had. We suffered so that other people might not have to suffer in the same ways that we suffered. So important to remind ourselves that now as we continue to progress into older generation, that Mm -hmm. instead of being upset that things are changing, be thankful and be excited that the things that have either been fought before us or that we've fought hard for are actually creating a better life for those that are younger than us. Mm-hmm. I know something that comes up in our community a lot um, is there seems to be a thin line between remembering our history and continuing the fight and the idea of allowing evolution. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's really important for us in this middle kind of generation that's going on right now of being millennials, being in our like thirties and saying exactly what you just said. Like we have fought hard to help young people right now be less concerned about sexuality and more concerned about their gender at the Mm -hmm. age of like 14. I help lead um, a queer youth group with my co-pastor Darren literally every kid in that call is trans (laughs) they're all under the age of 15 and it's freaking awesome I love it Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there going as a genderqueer human under the trans umbrella I'm sitting there going what the heck would my life have been like if I could have been considering that at the age of 14 Mm -hmm. What? Like, so thankful that we're creating a space and I get to learn from these kids over and over and over again. They use terminology that I'm like, oh, better Google that. Like, (laughs) Uh like just a reminder that this is a gift that we're, we've been able to give young Mm -hmm. people and um, who knows what they'll be able to give people once they're in their thirties. You know, what they fight yeah. for. Just excited about that. Maybe no more gender reveal parties. Maybe that. <laughs> oh, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's something simple like that. <laughs> oh, man. I thought about throwing a gender reveal party for myself. And like opening up a box and it's just like a bunch of balloons with question marks on them. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. Just as long as there's not some sort of explosive involved. Too many people have like not survived creating explosives. Yeah. Can we make gender illegal already? Like how many people does gender have to kill before we outlaw or like at least heavily regulate it? In some way. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like, hello, gender control. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Opposite direction. (laughs) We want the opposite direction. (laughs) Nobody should police anybody's gender except their own. (laughs) Backpedal this real quick. (laughs) The government should not be allowed to tell your gender. Your church should not be allowed to tell you your gender. (laughs) Were you trying to make a gun control? Were you trying to make a gun control analogy and it goes completely the wrong way? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm glad to end our shame episode on a joke that was incredibly shameful. Um, I'll never get over this. No. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> so glad that I am having this conversation with you, Jack, in a room. And I would normally think that it was going to go nowhere. But instead, everyone's going to hear it. So that's fantastic. <laughs> Let's take all our dirty laundry and air it out for the entire internet. What could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Cut to future corrections corners where my little snippet has been misused. (laughs) 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 Listen to this gender queer individual talk about gender control. Anyway, um, I think we've very well outdone talking about shame. Like, I think we've covered it really well. Yeah, and I think it's going to keep coming up in more specific discussions but i've appreciated having this sort of flyover yeah conversation about it i actually want to give a little credit where credit is due which is you and i both attended a message where candace ubernot of the christian closet spoke at um the church that i pastor new abbey where you used to pastor with Mm -hmm. me new abbey no new abbey no home and about some of the some of the ways that she was asking questions with our community brought up this topic of shame. And I immediately texted you. It was like, we have to do an episode on shame. Mm-hmm. And we just, we threw it in there because um, we knew that this was something that permeates so much of, um, permeates so much of our queer Christian experience. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to say, thanks, Candice. If you ever listen to this, we appreciate your inspiration. And your freaking awesome role in our community. Um, it means a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Candace. We love you. <laughs> we love you. Um, not sponsored, guys. We just love Candace, okay? <laughs> Get off our back. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't follow us already on Instagram and Twitter, hit us up at Lav Mafia, L A V M A F I A. Awesome. Well, we love you, beautiful babes. Be fierce. Keep the faith. And don't fuck it up. Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing, and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production, or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com. 